Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 47 through 52. Matthew 13, verses 47 through 52. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Thus ends our reading of God's unfailing word. May all who hear it bring out the treasures of Christ, both new and old. Well, we have made it to the end of Jesus' third discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. And it was in this teaching that we saw him change his methodology. If you recall, Jesus had begun speaking to the, peop to the people in parables. Because though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear. The, the, the masses, for the most part, had refused to repent, even though they knew that, that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, they were, they, they, they were looking for a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. They, they wanted an earthly ruler, one who would deliver them from the pains of this world here and now. And for the most part, this meant that they wanted to see Jesus take up his sword and, and free them from the Romans. But what they failed to realize is that the Romans were, were not their greatest enemy. This was not Christ's plan. Instead, what he was calling them to was repentant faith in him. In order that he might free them from even greater oppressors. Sin. Death. And the devil. But the people's hearts had become calloused and they refused to listen. This is why Jesus spoke to them in parables. Because the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven had been, had been given to, excuse me, had been given to his disciples. But, but not to them. And what we find with, with each of these eight parables is that they describe a, a reality concerning the kingdom of heaven. In the, in the parable of the sower, we saw that, that many will reject this kingdom simply because they would fail to understand the call, the calling of the kingdom. And yet, for those who, who do understand, they would reap a harvest. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. In the parable of the weeds in the field, we, we learn that this kingdom of heaven will have to, have to coexist with the kingdoms of this world until the time of the end. This means that, that we won't see true justice or, or true peace until Christ returns. 
In the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, we discovered that, that in spite of all of these challenges, and in contrast to, to his humble beginnings, the kingdom of heaven will be continuously growing and, and spreading throughout the face of the earth. And in the two parables describing the men who sold all that they had, we uncovered the, the, the value of the kingdom, finding out that it is worth far more than anything we could ever possess. In fact, the, the, the only one who, who can purchase such a treasure is Jesus Christ, the one who truly did give up everything he had in order to purchase us. And now today we will look at our last two parables. The parable of the net and the parable of the owner of a house. And in these two parables we will learn two more realities concerning the kingdom of heaven. So let's, let's jump back in and see what our Lord has to teach us. First, the, the parable of the net. Look at verses 47 through 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and, and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, we need to remind ourselves of the setting of this parable. If you recall, Jesus, he went into a house with his disciples only. And so he is only speaking to them. He was no longer addressing the crowds. Rather, rather he was revealing to those who were, who were close to him the secrets of the kingdom. And he was using an example that, that, at least for some of them, should have made complete sense. This concept of net fishing. Men like Peter and, and Andrew and John, they, they were net fishermen. They, they knew the ins and outs of the trade. In other words, Jesus was speaking their language. Now, now a, a, a dragnet, which is what they would use, it was typically tied between two boats. And those boats, they would make a sweeping path, collecting everything in its wake. It was this indiscriminate methodology of catching fish. So, so when these fishermen, they, when they would pull in their haul, they, they would have to sort through everything they caught. The, the, the good fish, those that were edible, the, they, they would be collected into baskets. And, but the bad fish, those, those that you could not eat, they would be tossed to the side, thrown away. In a similar manner, this is what the kingdom is like, or rather what it will be like at the end of the age. The angels, they, they, they will come and gather the living and the dead, and they will sort through separating the wicked from the righteous. In, in many ways, this story reminds us of the parable of the, wheat, uh, the weeds in the fields, uh, where, where the weeds and, and the wheat will have to be separated at the end of the age. And, and yet, our, our focus here is slightly different. For, for in the former, Jesus was calling his disciples to live in the present. They, they needed to live with patient endurance, waiting for God's judgment and his peace that would eventually come. But here, he's having them look forward. 
He, he is trying to reinforce this idea of a final judgment and the devastation that will come about for those who are wicked, for, for those who, who do not take up the righteousness of Christ. It is a warning of the wrath of God towards sinners. A message like this is not easy to hear. The, the, the mere mention of hell and a, and a fiery furnace makes us, makes us want to cringe in horror, does it not? We, we don't like to think about an eternal punishment full of suffering and woe. And so what we often do is, is just try to ignore the truth. But, but Jesus didn't want his disciples to be, to be blind to this reality. He, he, seemed to, he seemed to think that this message was of vital importance. For this was now the second time in, in one day that he had warned his disciples using the words of a, of a fiery furnace and, and where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first was in, in the parable of the weeds in the field and now, and now here in the parable of the net. But why is this so important? Why, why must we as disciples of Christ need to know this truth? Why, why can't we just focus on God's love, on his mercy, on his grace? Why can't we have an easy message that is appealing to all ears? A number of years ago, the, the, the popular book to buy was Love Wins by Rob Bell. And in his witty prose that, that consistently questioned the teachings of the Bible, he, he put forth his claim that eventually all people would find their way into God's kingdom. This is a heart cry of the universalist. It's as if they're trying to, to make God look good by, by, by covering up what they, what they believe to be his defects. It's their attempt to make him look appealing to a world that doesn't want to listen to the truth. But in order to do this, they must deny five things about God. First, they must deny the words of Christ. I mean, think about it. We just read what Jesus had to say on the matter. And it's not just here, for, for Jesus repeats this sentiment over and over again. Uh, look, at, look at Matthew 25, verse 28, uh, at the end of the parable of the talents. This is what he says. Take, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or how about in the very next parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats? Speaking of the goats, Jesus says this, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And there are more instances that could be pointed out, but, but, but suffice it to say, this was a, a message that Jesus not only believed, but he taught frequently. And to be a universalist is to deny the words of Christ. Second, in order to be a universalist, you, you, you must deny God's wisdom. Basically, you, you have to say that, that, that you know better than God on how his creation should be handled. 
Isaiah 55, verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When you contradict God's word, what, what you are ultimately doing is you are elevating your own wisdom above God's. This is why we are instructed with these words in Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Listen, God's wisdom is greater than your own. And when, and when what you think disagrees with what the Bible says, then you, my friend, are dead wrong. This is the mindset that every Christian must have. But, but this doesn't mean that, that, that nothing gets explained. That God just makes his decrees without giving us any reasoning behind his thinking. For there is good cause why hell exists. But the universalist has to ignore such thinking. Which leads to their third denial. A denial of God's justice. In order, in order to keep with their beliefs that, that eventually all will be welcomed into the kingdom, they have to declare that the, that the God of the Bible is both cruel and mean. This is why they ask the question, how could a loving God send anyone to an eternal punishment? But, but in this question, they think too little of man's sin and not enough of God's justice. Listen, the, the, the reason people go to hell is because they have rejected their creator. They, they have basically thumbed their nose at God, wanting to have nothing to do with him. The guilt of that far exceeds anything else. In fact, all other sin stems from this one sin. For instance, when you, when you lie to someone, what you are basically doing is, is betraying someone who God created. When you steal, you are robbing from someone that God loves. And when you take a life, you might as well be killing God himself. Because that person was formed. He was created in God's image. Basically, any sin you commit is an offense towards the one who created you. This is why King David wrote to God these words after he had committed adultery and then, then tried to cover it up by killing his friend. Look at Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David recognized the truth of his actions. That, that, that deep down when he committed those heinous acts, what he was really doing was putting himself above God. I think too often we downplay our sin. We think that, that what we're doing actually isn't that bad. And that in our heart of hearts, we, we, are, we are really just, just good people. And so we say to ourselves, how, how can God be just to punish someone for eternity? But what we fail to realize is that the one that we are sinning against is of infinite worth. He is holy beyond measure. 
And so even the smallest of crimes cannot be paid for with a, with a thousand lifetimes of punishment. This is why Jesus' death upon the cross is so important. For the only way that our, that our sin can be covered is if there is a sacrifice of limitless worth. Without Jesus, we would all be dead in our trespasses and sins. And to deny the need for God's justice is to devalue the cross of Christ. Which leads to the universalist fourth denial. The denial of God's glory. When we speak of the glory of God, we speak of the public display of his infinite worth. It is his magnificence that, that, that shines forth in, in every attribute that he has. God is glorified in his omnipotence, the, the, the fact that he is all-powerful. God is glorified in his omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing. God is glorified in his great love, the fact that he cares for you more than any other. And he is glorified in his justice. Romans 9 verse 22 says this, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? God receives glory through his divine justice. And what Romans tells us is that there will come a day when, when, when the wrath that he has stored up will be put on display for all to see. And for us, we who are in his mercy, when we see this, it will not be a thing of horror. Rather, it will cause us to praise his name. L listen to Revelation 19, verses 1 through 3. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. These are the saints of the Lord glorifying God in His great judgment. And this is a good thing. For the justice of God demonstrates God's holiness. And it magnifies the mercy that He has shown to each and every one of us. For let's be honest. We deserve to be tossed into that same fire. There's one more thing that the universalists must deny. And that is the denial of the urgency of the gospel. For if you deny Jesus' words, if you deny God's wisdom, if you deny God's justice... And if you deny God's glory, then there, there is really no need to be on God's mission. Think about it. If everyone is going to eventually enter into the kingdom, then, then why do we need to proclaim Jesus in the first place? 
there's really no reason. But that's not how our Lord preached. He had a sense of urgency. He warned people of the judgment that was to come. I mean, that was his message from the very beginning. Look back at Matthew 4, verse 17, where we see Jesus entering into his ministry. What does he say? From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. These are not the words of a universalist. He was warning people of the judgment that is coming and of their need to turn from their sins and to trust in Him. And it is for this reason that, that Christ gives to us this parable of the net. For, for not only does it speak to us of the reality of the kingdom of heaven, but, but we as Christians should be warning people just as our Lord did. Dear friends, do you, do you sense the urgency of the gospel? Do you realize that, that, that if the people around you, if they reject this message, if they reject Jesus, they will suffer eternally under the wrath of God? Let these words of our Lord motivate you to proclaim Christ, to, to, to hand out that gospel tract, to, to learn how to share your faith, to warn those who are perishing. Hell is real. And a person's only hope is if they repent and trust in Jesus. Do you understand the meaning of this parable? This is the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Look at verse 51. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. For his disciples, for those whom he considered to be his family, Christ wanted to make sure that his words had been clear. That, that they hadn't misunderstood the secrets of the kingdom. For, for he had one more parable for them, which was really an assignment. Let's look at our last verse, verse 52. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who, ha who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. These disciples, these, these ones who, to whom have been revealed the secrets of the kingdom, they are now these teachers of the law who have been instructed about the kingdom of heaven. They have received treasure from their master, and in so doing, they have become masters themselves of their own households. And just as Jesus showed kindness to them, they too must demonstrate that same kindness to those that they welcome in. They are to, to bring out the treasures, both new and old, and share them with the guests that they are entertaining. The, the secrets that Jesus had kept from the crowds would, would soon be revealed to those same crowds when the timing was right. After Jesus' death and resurrection, it would be these disciples who would, who would go throughout the earth, bringing out their treasures as they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like the parable of the sower, they would, they would discover that there would be many who would reject them. And yet, there would be some who would believe and in turn reap a harvest. 
And like the parable of the weeds in the field, they, they, they would have to contend with the kingdoms of this world, waiting patiently for God's justice and his peace. And despite all these difficulties, like the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast explain, they, they would see that kingdom grow and expand throughout the whole earth. For the message that they proclaimed was that of the parables of the men who sold all that they had. This Jesus Christ who gave up all he had in order to purchase a people for his kingdom. And what urged these men forward was the parable of the net. And the knowledge of the, of the end and Christ's dire warning of, the, of God's judgment. Judgment for those who refuse to believe. So, like the parable of the owner of a house, they, they had brought out their treasures, both new and old. Dear friends, you too have now been instructed by these parables of Christ. Therefore, be like that owner of a house who, who brought out both new and old treasures to a dying world. Let us pray. Father, we glorify your name because of your great justice. There, there is nothing that, that escapes your view. And we, we thank you for your endless mercy. Without the cross of Christ, we would be hopelessly lost. May we be like the, the owners of a house, bringing out our treasures, both, both new and old. And may your Holy Spirit bring about new life to the ones to whom we share this treasure with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.